Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. Hey, let's get into uh, a look at some strategic indexing and, and what's going on with the future governance index. Um, this is a fascinating story. It's a complicated one, but we are going to get right to the heart of the matter. Joining us now, Devadas Krishnandas, the founder and CEO of Future Moves Group, the Confronting COVID-19, a strategic playbook for leaders and decision makers, uh, author. Uh, he's going to talk to us about this new index that they have. Good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for having me on. Now, yeah, Devin, let's fair. get into yeah. this because this is a fascinating topic. You've been very vocal in, on, on uh, LinkedIn and other places about mm. Singapore's handling of the pandemic, other countries' handling of the pandemic. And your company, Future Moves Group, has just released what is believed to be the first, the global first index of its kind that looks at measuring, ranking, and examining how countries particularly their governments, have handled the pandemic. What are some of the key findings? Let's start with the index first. What are some of the key findings that stood out for you? Well, first let me clarify that um, we were talking in terms of governance rather than simply government. Yeah, correct. So when we think about governance, our central proposition is that uh, it's a whole-of-nation effort. So both the community and the industry Need to be see, need to see themselves as stakeholders and contributors together with the government in confronting the challenges of the future, and um, it's a very interesting linkage with your earlier discussion about millennials and upskilling and etc. I think that's a, a reflection of of the community members taking ownership of their own futures and uh, the government providing opportunities and industry coming together to provide internships. That's exactly what. Um, we think about when we talk about governance as a whole of nation effort. And what we did in the index is to try to measure the performance of governance using 170 different metrics against five major challenges that uh, we think will be confronting the world uh, over the next 25 to 50 years. And these, uh, there's so many metrics involved. We know that that governance is a, very much a moving target, right? Literally and figuratively. How do you really get a sense of who's doing the right thing and what in an environment such as we have today where uh, the economies of the world are in constant flux and I would say many are in chaos, uh, combined with the uncertainty of the pandemic and who knows next, you know, what's going to happen? Well, one of the things that uh, the report does is focus on measurable metrics. And there are a lot of metrics which allow us to quantify uh, how uh, countries can uh, are preparing themselves or are prepared to deal with uh, the challenges of the future, whether this is climate change or whether this is economic shocks or financial shocks. Mm. Um, the data actually speaks a powerful narrative and what we had to do was essentially try to uh, basket the data into different categories and then weight them in a sensible, reasonable, defensible way to be able to make a comparative analysis across countries. So to give you an example of, of, of Singapore in particular, uh, it's ranked number six in the global scale, but it's ranked number one when it comes to technology preparedness. If we look at Singapore, it's been historically a great adopter of technology, 
but over the last 10 to 15 years, it's also become a great attractor and originator of technology. And we see that in agri-tech, we see that in clean tech, and we see that in fintech. And that's a, co- that's a combination of uh, the efforts of the government to introduce uh, pro-business, pro-sectoral growth policies, introduce grants and subsidies, as well as the attraction of foreign direct investors like venture capitalists and angel investors who are willing to come to Singapore because they see a pro-business environment. They see an environment where their intellectual property is protected. We have a very strong IPO. Uh, We have a very strong IP protection and uh, rule of law. We have a great mediation and arbitration center, uh, international centers in Singapore. And so we've created the conditions in which uh, technology adoption attraction and origination is first in its class in the world. And I think that that's going to help to create those kind of job opportunities you were talking about earlier with Ryan and Sabrina for young people and also older people to upskill and reskill and then fill those jobs as we go forward into the future. Looking at your index uh, there, you have Singapore as the top Asian nation in the top 10, the only Asian nation in the top 10, six, over, yeah. six overall. Denmark came in first. Mm. Scandinavian nations fared particularly well in their effective governance during the COVID-19. So for the benefit of our listeners, what is it about Denmark that did so mm. well that maybe Singapore could learn from? I think it's uh, one of the challenges we had was actually to look at countries and compare them, but accept the fact that countries have very different histories and different sociological makeups. And uh, Singapore is a very small country whose uh, survival is dependent on our global connectivity. Mm. So one of the things that we haven't really done well is opening up faster, opening up uh, our uh, air links, our sea links, and now we're hoping to open up our land link with Malaysia. I think if we had done that earlier, we would have scored much better. Uh, but when you look at these other countries, they opened up much quicker. Uh, they opened up at lower thresholds of vaccination. They were willing to take that risk. So Singapore is a, uh, by, by nature quite a paternalistic society mm. and one that's reasonably risk-adverse when compared to these more established uh, uh, countries which have a much longer history than we do and different political systems. And so they responded to the COVID crisis in a very different way than we did. And I think it's a point of view perspective depending on your risk appetite, Mm. whether you want to say that Singapore has done better or worse. For people who are cosmopolitan and whose jobs rely on them being globally connected, they probably feel that we've moved too slowly. For people who are more risk adverse and whose jobs don't really require them to be connected to the global economy, they're probably feeling that we've moved at the right pace or perhaps even moving too fast. So there are different perspectives depending on where you stand. And yeah. that's, a, that's a very neat summary of where we're at, Devadas. Yeah. I, I personally find this a fascinating discussion because, as you rightly mentioned there, we are generally a paternalistic society. We loosely adopt, or quite stringently in some cases, adopt the values of filial piety. And it's so difficult to categorize society against society, isn't it? Because in the case of Singapore, we are in quite a unique situation. We're a densely populated city. We live on top of each other. We live in housing blocks for the most part. We often have three generations living under the one roof, which means, you know, uh, unvaccinated children could theoretically pass it to their grandparents, the COVID-19. So we do have different kinds of risks 
that we have to maybe take on board that other Scandinavian countries might not have to take into account. So it's not a, a, a simple either-or scenario here, is it? No, it's not. And uh, certainly the, the politics also matters in the sense that um, the government has to take into consideration the sensitivities of its people and what it's willing to tolerate in terms of the impacts of COVID on uh, vulnerable groups in the society. And you mentioned seniors. Mm. And, and if we look at the data, the data tells us that more than two-thirds of the acute care capacity occupancy is taken up by seniors who are unvaccinated or partially vaccinated. And they make up more than 90% of the fatalities. Mm. So I think one of the real areas where we are, the government is struggling with is getting and convincing the remaining 6% of the eligible population to get vaccinated. And within that group of 60 of that 6%, you've got 70 to 80,000 seniors who remain unvaccinated. And they are the most vulnerable to both falling seriously ill and also becoming fatalities because with age comes uh, several comorbidities. And I think it's really important also to note that the uh, lifespan in Singapore is measured at 84.3 years. And if we look at the number of the age of the fatality groups, they're actually all around that age group. So these are people who are also at that most vulnerable point in their lives, whether we had COVID or not. And that's actually a very important observation because when we think about the annual fatalities in Singapore in 2021, they're actually slightly lower than the fatalities in 2020 and 2019, mm. despite the fact that we've had COVID. Interesting. Mm. We're talking with uh, Devadas Krishnandas, the founder and CEO of Future Moves Group. And FMG has just released their Future Governance Index, the uh, first global index of its kind to uh, take a future-focused perspective toward measuring, ranking, and examining countries' quality of governance. One thing you said uh, just triggered something interesting. As we've looked at nearly all of the deaths that have happened in Singapore as a result of COVID, uh, the vaccination status has varied. But nearly to a person, everybody has had an underlying serious health condition. Uh, as you Correct. look at this data that has come forward, do you – is there an opportunity there at a, a Ministry of Health level, at a government level, at a societal level to talk about the health of Singaporeans and how we're living, what we're eating, uh, our stress levels? Is, is this the, maybe the untold story behind what we're seeing statistically uh, from specifically the deaths related to COVID? Well, the answer is yes and no. I think uh, about two years ago, the just before the pandemic, the Prime Minister uh, took the opportunity at a National Day rally to talk about diabetes as mm -hmm. being one of our great health challenges yep. going forward as we become an affluent nation and we consume more um, uh, food products that may not be very healthy for us and we also may not be exercising enough. But I think in the case of COVID, it's actually the correlation between age and mobilities that is a problem. And where that's concerned... Uh, I don't think it's really a conversation about uh, whether exercising or eating right. It's just a reality that when people reach an advanced age in their 80s, they tend to develop comorbidities. Um, and when they're then confronted with a disease like COVID, they become uh, acutely vulnerable, especially if they have not been vaccinated. And I keep coming back to yeah. that point about vaccination. It's not a foolproof prevention of serious illness or fatality. 
but the data shows it significantly reduces the incidence of becoming seriously ill mm. or becoming a fatality. But Devadas, you know, we we've certainly seen people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s who have you know passed away. Uh, people with hypertension, diabetes, uh, you know, risk, stroke risk, etc. These are not people yes. that should you know quote unquote should have died, uh, given the fact that they have uh, you know 20, 30 plus more years statistically speaking. Of life, I mean, it's not just 80s and 90 year olds that are succumbing. Uh, you know, we do have, we do need to have a health conversation, don't we? About uh, continuing on from what the PM said a couple of years ago. I certainly, I think uh, health is a uh, perennial issue of concern, and being a healthy society uh, has tremendous positive externality effects because it reduces healthcare costs. Yep. It uh, reduces stress in our healthcare system. It increases the uh, uh, the health of the workforce, so people are taking fewer days off mm. for being sick, etc. So, health is not a an issue which has only one dimension, yeah. because it's important to think both in terms of physical health as well as mental health. And I think one of the uh, invisible impacts of COVID has actually been on the mental health of Singaporeans. We've all been living under the pressure cooker of the restrictions, of the uncertainty. And I think uh, even when we come out of the COVID situation, there are going to be longer term effects on our psychology mm. uh, because people have been under stress for literally for two, for two years or more. Mm. And obviously for those with elderly parents and young children, they would have significant concerns and particularly those also who have... Uh, been working in uh, sectors which have been heavily impacted by COVID, like FNB and hospitality, they've also been placed under economic stress. Mm. So I think mental health is an issue that we also need to be talking more about and doing more about uh, both during the pandemic as well as uh, after the pandemic is behind us and we are in an endemic stage. That psychology part that you mentioned there, Devadas, is the part that really fascinates me because I do often think we're dealing with competing psychologies here. Western and Eastern is a little bit too simplistic, but there is certainly something in, if you look at Europe, the countries you mentioned in your index, if you look at the US, you look at the UK, they have a slightly more libertarian approach. You know, get the vaccine, do what you need to do, and then you have to take responsibility for your own health and well-being i.e. if you're not willing to take the booster, if you're not willing to take the vaccine, at this point, there's not a great deal the majority in society can do about it. The rest of us have to get back to normal. And I read your LinkedIn post with interests and you talk Mm. about these issues, but we see a competing ideology. I'm talking about a societal level here, not necessarily political, where they're like, no, in Singapore, we leave no man behind. If there's still a few percent that won't get vaccinated, then we will wait. We will wait and we yes. will do what we can. So my question is, Devadas, how long do we wait? Because we're around 85% vaccination. It does seem to be the case that we're not going to go any higher than that moving forward. It will fluctuate by 1% or 2%. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's where we're going to roughly be now. At what point do we as a society move on? I think that's a, a very... It's the question that is on everybody's mind. We had 94% uh, vaccinated for the eligible population. That's one you factor out the children that are under 12. And you're right, there's not much headroom left. The government has got 
both a carrot and stick out now uh, to try to convince um, the unvaccinated to become vaccinated. It's got programs to try to make it as convenient as possible for people to get vaccinated. And now it's introduced a policy where from December 9th, uh, they're going to have to bear their own medical costs if they get sick right. from COVID. So I think we'll wait to see the uh, potential impacts that has. So far, what that has led to is a is only a 1% increase in the number of vaccinated since that announcement was made. But from a proportionate basis, that 1% represents about a 15% change in the number of unvaccinated. So I'm a little bit more optimistic that now that the stick is being applied, that more people will uh, become uh, overcome their vaccine hesitancy and uh, get themselves vaccinated. But I do ex- do expect that to be a remnant of society that would be very vehemently anti-vaxxer and uh, not get vaccinated. I think it's going to be a political call on the, on the part of the government about uh, how long more to wait. And I think a very powerful signal has been sent that uh, from the 1st of January, uh, people will be allowed to, who are fully vaccinated will be allowed to return to office to work. So I think that gives us a kind of timeline indicator in the sand that from that point on, uh, we'll be moving more aggressively to lift restrictions, all things uh, being equal. Fascinating. Great discussion. Thank you so much, uh, Devadas Krishnandas, uh, for coming on to talk to us about your future governance index study uh, that you've just done, first of its kind. Uh, If somebody wants to see more on this study, where do they find it? They can find it on our website uh, and download it for free. It's www.future-moves.com. And there's also an interactive page on the website which allows you to compare and contrast uh, the different data sets that are contained within the report. And Devadas, you also have a book, don't you? Confronting COVID-19, a strategic playbook for leaders and decision makers, which I believe is out everywhere now. Absolutely. Actually, it was published uh, very early in the pandemic in October last year. And we did some projections of how the pandemic may play out globally. And I'm happy to say that, um, well, not happy to say because it unfortunately projected Mm. global fatalities. But uh, the projections actually continue to hold true. And uh, the prescriptions that are contained within the book continue to be relevant today, even uh, two years into the pandemic. Wow. Thank you. Well, Devadas Krishnandas, thanks so much for being with us today on Money FM. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much and have a great day, gentlemen. And you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.